what is it that brings you to this service? I'm not talking about this class. I, don't, I wouldn't want to know that. <laughs> we're, we're talking about the church itself. How, why are you here? When Sunday morning comes and, and, and 10 o'clock arrives, why are you there? Why are you here? That's the, so, some of the purposes that I want us to look at. What, what, that, now, there's some things that we know that are... Uh, the criteria for those specifics are very clear. We can sing songs and we can have our prayers and we can do various things of that nature the Bible talks about. We'll be talking about all that just a little bit later on. But the appropriateness that I'm talking about, the purposes, are why are those things done and how are they done? We'll be talking a lot about that. Little things that often occupy our attention and loom so large in our, in our thinking are not really why we're here. Now, I don't know about you. I think I do. I know that I have problems at times during worship service keeping my, focus, my attention focused on what it should be focused on. Sometimes my mind drifts a little bit. Sometimes it drifts quite a bit. <laughs> and I would imagine each one of us could say the same thing. We're here not to think about where we're going to eat after service. We're not here for the purpose of trying to solve some big problem that we've been wrestling with for a long time. We're here to worship and glorify God. That's why we're here. Now, what do you think about it? There's no systematic statement in the, in the scriptures for the purposes of, of our worship service, by our Christians, our assembly of the Christians coming together. Nevertheless, there are several passages that speak on that subject and approach it from various order, very di various different ways. And, and, but, you know, one thing that's interesting to me in preparing this and thinking about it and making ready for this class tonight, do you realize that the most often place that you can go to find what the Bible has to say about worship, about disorders in congregations and things of that nature is 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing to a church that has some problems. He's writing to a church that we need to be aware of. Not only that, but uh, that's on. But not doing anything. Not, cha not changing anything there. There we go. We come together in the church to share the Lord's Supper, to hear the Word of God, to pray, to sing, and to give. No question about that, is there? We come for that purpose. I, I want you to understand something else. I, I'm going to mention several things that we come for this worship for. We come to glorify God. We come to praise God. In Ephesians 3 and verse 21, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says to him, Be the glory in the church 
by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think as I read that, that that includes me. The one who's giving the glory. I think as I read that, that that includes you. When we assemble together in the in this building or wherever to worship God, to glorify Him, that's what we are there for. That's the purpose of our meeting together. Not only that, now in the book of Ephesus, Ephesians, the word uses church in a universal sense, not in a specific reference to an assembly. You see, when the whole worldwide Christian when they come to glorify God in the church, that's the church glorifying God, then they ought to recognize, be recognized as that. That's why we're there. You see, in this passage, it really tells us that to be in Christ is to be in the church. And we could re reverse that because if we're in the church, biblically, we're in Christ Jesus. When we obeyed the gospel, when we were baptized into Christ, we put on Christ, we were clothed with Him, and as a result, we are in His body. That's told us in a number of passages in the New Testament. But this, this sense in which Paul's using the word church here is in a far, far wider reference than just to a congregational assembly. No, this is a, a reference that means all of the church is included wherever it may be. Why? For the purpose of coming together is to Him be the glory. That's why we're there. That's the glorifying and praising God. Another passage that kind of helps us in, in thinking about this is in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul is quoting from Psalms 22 and verse 22. And interestingly enough, Paul takes the wording of Psalm 22, verse 22, and, a, and tries to say, this is what Jesus said. And this is how he, how he phrased it. Jesus, uh, were said at that time, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. You see, and, down, and then on down to verse 11, we, we read that Jesus is not ashamed to call them His brethren. That is, His people. That is, His family. The family of God. According to Hebrew, the parallelism of, the, of this poetic verse to proclaim or to announce the simple fact of the name of God is equivalent to him. our singing and our giving praise to Him on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever. Whenever Christians assemble together, that's the church. That's what we're talking about. You see, we can give praise to Him when brothers and sisters are gathered in assembly or in the congregation, there Jesus is present, he said, and is identified with his people. He is 
not ashamed to call them brethren, to call them brothers and sisters. What a, what a, a marvelous statement that is. If we can thank Jesus, the very Son of God, who left heaven, emptied himself of all the glory there, came to this earth and in the life of, of a human being just like you and I, suffered the same kind of temptations that we, have, that we endure, and yet was crucified on the cross for our sins so that he could bring that atonement, that forgiveness to us. And for him to come down here now and say, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're in the family of God and as I am, wouldn't that be wonderful if he could tell us that just openly? He's pictured us praising God. I, I, I've attended or participated in a lot of funerals. Funerals, a lot of them where the family had just really planned a praise service. Now, I've wondered when that happened, what would an unbeliever, what would they think about that occasion? You see, how, why would praising God at the death of of one of their friends, a death of a loved one. For believers, the service made perfect sense. You see, that's what Christians do. Praise God. And so they certainly do that when they come together as a church. They praise God. Since the assembly is to glorify God, it will reflect the nature of God. Paul uses the character of God as a standard by which to correct certain abuses in the assemblies of the Corinthians against disorderly and, if not chaotic, assemblies. The unedifying, unstrengthening assemblies of Christians at Corinth. Paul reminds them that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. All things should be done decently, he says, and in order there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, and chapter and verse 14, verse, verse 40. Since God's a God of order and peace, the assemblies of his people will reflect that particular kind of aspect. They're going to be decent and in order, and they're going to be a worship service with peace and order. One of the aspects of the nature of God is similarly to conduct uh, Christian assemblies in various other ways. He's the Spirit. John chapter 4 and verse 24. He is the light in whom, no one, in whom there is no darkness, according to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. And referring to moral qualities 
And perhaps more, he is love. 1 John 4, verse 8. Not only that, he's holy. 1 Peter chapter 15 and 16. And then we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, that he's a consuming fire to be approached with awe. How wonderful it is to be able to praise God. Never, so far as I'm aware, are human needs and human, uh, human wants are made a basis for activities in the assembly. I don't read anything like that in the New Testament about that. I don't think that happens unless we allow our own wishes, our own wills to take over. Now I feel sure that some human needs are met in assemblies and our service to God to be according to the spiritual and rational nature, especially Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You know, we're, we're told there that we're to worship Him, serve Him in different language than what Paul had used earlier. There's a certain human dimension to our assembly. But this human dimension is determined, first of all, by what gives God glory and accords with His nature as the creator of our human nature. It isn't what we want. It isn't what we think should be there. It isn't what, uh, what satisfies our pleasure. It isn't what uh, we enjoy as listening or participating. It's praising God. I hope we enjoy praising God. Don't misunderstand me. But it's, He's the creator of our being. And our, our purpose in meeting is to exemplify Christ. The word ecclesia, translated church in our modern English versions, literally means an assembly. Or as it was rendered in some of the early English translations, congregations. It's not talking about a building. It's not talking about some grand temple that someone has made somewhere. Remember one thing and keep one thing in mind completely. When Jesus established his kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom. And he used that word kingdom in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 as equal with the church. Upon this rock, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he turned to Peter and said, Upon this, uh, I, I will, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Church, kingdom. He didn't change subject. Whatever you bind on earth be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth be loosed in heaven. What a, what a challenge before us. It's the assembly of the church that shows itself to be what it is. The church is the gathering of people of God. Those called into the presence of God to meet one another, to meet Him who is their Creator. If we're the church, we must meet. Think about that for a moment. If we're the church, and that's what the New Testament pictures for us, 
then we must meet. Not to meet is to deny that we are the church. Paul expresses the purpose of their meeting together. When you come together in the church, literally, one translation says, as a church. There are times when Christians come together in church, assembly, in assembly, when they present themselves as a church. They may be together at other times in other capacities as we think about it, but there are times when we're conscious of, of being the assembly of God in Christ. I hope and I pray when we come together, we come in the purpose of praising God. We come in the purpose of knowing that we, we exemplify the church because the assembly represents the church as church. As apostolic instructions were to all the churches. Paul stresses that point by repetition in 1 Corinthians. He may have been especially concerned about the church at Corinth because of the tendency of members to go their own way, do their own thing. He asked them, Not doing it again. No, back up. Not edify. There. How, how, no, back up. It'll exemplify. Now let's get, let's see if we can get a passage of scripture up there. Another one. There. Did the word of God originate with you? He asked them. Were you the only ones that were reached with the gospel of Christ? Obviously, question, the answer to those questions are no. The Word of God didn't originate with us. There were some in the, in the church in Corinth who had gone different ways and doing things differently, but he reminds them at least four times in 1 Corinthians that he gave the same instructions to all the churches. Just as he's, he's given instruction to various churches in, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1 and 2, talk about giving as I've given order to all churches. You know, he's told them to do that. I mean, you know, Paul writes to Timothy and said, I would remind you one more advancement. There we go. No. <laughs> we keep getting over to edify one another. And I don't want that yet. Back up. Okay. Let's just think about it. I want you to understand that he told Timothy that I remind you and want you to remind the Corinthians of my ways in Christ Jesus as I teach them everywhere in every church. Chapter 4, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the head, covering, the custom was, uh, the churches of God is to be followed. 
silence of women is observed in all the churches of the saints. This instance on, com on common observation need not necessarily mean uniformity in all things. There are certain things that are regional, certain things that are national, certain things that are cultural. I mean, after all, not all churches have to meet at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. We don't all have to meet on Wednesday night. Could be just as well on Thursday night. The Bible doesn't tell us that. That's something that's given to us to fit the conditions where we are that we can praise God and honor Him and glorify Him and do what He asks us to do. Nevertheless, Paul taught a common practice, and his instructions were the same everywhere. Certain principles applied to every church. This agreement in faith and practice will give a common identity to the churches, and that's expressed primarily as we get together in those corporate meetings. Now let's go to edify one another. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26 sets another passage before us. When you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. It's not for the individual doing those things. It's for the edification of the whole group. Now remember Paul's writing to Corinthians. They've had the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit lay hands on them. Some of them had gifts of tongues. Some of them had gifts of healing. Some of them had gifts of prophecy and various other things. But read with me, if you will. Open your Bible to one of your favorite passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He ends it by, in verse 8 of talking about love. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When that which is perfect is come, John, James chapter 1 and verse 25 talks about when the perfect law of liberty came. All these things were taken out. All these things were temporary. And when the fullness of God's word came, then those special gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues and various other things, no longer exist. Now as we think about that, I want you to understand that there's when we think about what we're talking here, these disorders in the church there in Corinth prompted Paul to give more attention to the assembly in this letter than anywhere else. Consequently, much of our attention is going to center on 1 Corinthians. Not exclusively center there, but when we come together to share the Lord's Supper, to hear the Word of God, to pray, to sing, to give, we come to glorify God with it. This, this lesson's not about these activities that take place in the assembly. Rather, the, the intention here is to consider reasons for doing these things. What are the purposes of these activities? 
What are they intended to accomplish? The Bible gives us some guidance concerning that. First of all, we're, go we're going to glorify and praise God. Glorify and praise God. To Him be the glory. Seems like we've been there before. We're having trouble with that, so just think about this for a moment. I want you to realize that God's not the God of disorder. He's God of peace. All things are to be done in order as we think about it. And then, too, I want you to think that we are to express unity. We come together as one. We're one family. I realize that in our world today, there are families that have all kinds of disputes and, and disagreements and things of this nature and are not at peace and harmony with one another. In the family of God, we are to be at peace with one another. We're to honor one another. Paul says in writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. As a, as a consequence, he told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 20 that the consequence of their coming together in that way was not to eat the Lord's Supper. If they came for a different purpose, if they came for something else, some, some were eating and, and before others and and going home uh, well fed, and some others were also at that same time drinking too much. Paul says that's not the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper were cre created and promotes unity. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 17, Paul says, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread, and sharing together in that bread and in that cup makes us one body in Christ. Coming together in the church is intended to demonstrate unity, not division. Congregational assembly, assembly is moreover a way of creating and building unity. Joint participation in, in any activity draws pe people closer together. I wish we really understood that. If we really understood that our being together here in this worship service would make us closer together, would draw us more and more together as that family, that would be something very special for us, wouldn't it? But you know, frequently meeting together in the church enhances that sense of belonging becoming truly one people. The meetings then in turn express this unity idea. Defeats one purpose of the assembly if in our seating arrangements and our associations we maintain cliques or in other ways avoid certain groups or persons. Congregational meetings are to be a time of building a common spirit. Providing a context for all the development of interpersonality personal relationships, meeting together shows the unity of the body of Christ. 
And then two, it expresses fellowship. Closely related. The idea of unity is the idea of fellowship. Fellowship means the condition of being fellows, of joint participants in something. The first description of the corporate life of the early disciples in Jerusalem includes their fellowship along with other activities of meeting. In Acts 2 and verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. All activities engaged in jointly, so including the assembly life. The, the, the pairing of these items brings the fellowship in close relationship with the apostles' teachings. So there's some support. For the interpretation that the word here has social references to sharing financial means, a common usage elsewhere in the New Testament, and certainly the sharing of material goods is prominent in Luke's description of the community life, highlighted as well, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So the fellowship may not be limited to sharing some financial means but it may include community life. This found expression, particularly in meeting together, even daily they came together. The association of the assembly and the unity and with fellowship places an emphasis conjoint participation as over against individual activities. Where, where there's an individual activity, like leading singing or wording prayers or bringing... Uh, a lesson, a teaching. This individual leadership is in order to promote orderly group participation. You see, when we sing, whatever song, Ephesians 5.19 says we're to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What does that mean? It, mean? it doesn't mean that I have to have some special vocal capability. It means that I am voicing those words and I'm speaking to other people around me. And together we're all speaking to others in this assembly. What a, what a marvelous idea that is. The author of the Hebrews knew this and he, he exhorted Christians in danger of falling away from their steadfastness. He said, let us hold fast the confession of our faith our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is but exhorting one another and even so much the more as you see the day approaching meeting together provides us the opportunity to encourage one another and to spur one another on failure to meet together deprives a Christian of that opportunity. The opportunity to encourage others. You see, when one neglects the assembly, when that encouragement does not occur, occur fellowship's weakened. It's not what it should be. Meeting other strengths a meeting together strengthens other, us in a number of ways. Fellowship that show, shows we hold a common confession and share a common life. The one another aspect of Christianity. 
puts a premium on mutual reconciliation. Think, think for a moment. All the times as you st read uh, through the Bible, look at those two words together, one another. What powerful lessons can be drawn from just the usage of, those, of that term. Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, uh, chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 gave some teaching ex and expressed in terms of worship practices in Israel at that time. Maybe still applicable to his disciples. He said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember your, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is an aspect of Jesus' teaching that I fear hadn't been emphasized enough. If the congregational assembly, assembly is to affect and, and exemplify unity for us and fellowship, then there must be an emphasis on reconciliation with members. Members who meet together. Members who are part of that family. There's no place for harboring resentment or antagonism toward others with whom we break bread. The community dimension of the, uh, of the church requires us to work diligently on personal relationships so that we bring harmony, mutual harmony, to our meetings. And then, too, I think we meet together to impress outsiders. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 23 through 25, Paul says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, and he's, he's convinced by all, and thus the secrets of his heart heart are revealed and so falling down on his face he'll worship God and report that God truly is among you. The Corinthian Christians, some of whom may have been ambitious for social advancement, should be aware of the impression their behavior made on non-Christians. And so should our impression be that we should be aware of how we affect those who are non-Christians. Now the emphasis of the outsiders does not determine what is done in the Christian assembly. It's deter that's determined by the will of God. But their interest will influence how things are done. The impression on outsiders functions in a negative way as it does in 1 Corinthians 14. It does not say what is to be done, but it may say something about what is not to be done. And then to our time's running low. Then too, I want you to realize that we come together for the purpose of commemorating and proclaiming salvation. The church meets together in order to remember and proclaim God's saving activity in Christ Jesus. This stated so explicitly in regard to, in regard to the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, The cup of blessing, 
which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And on down in verse 17 through 34, he develops the idea that participation in the Lord's Supper more fully and especially notes, for I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after saying this cup is the new covenant my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All activity in the assembly, commemorate and proclaim salvation to some extent. Let me make some suggestive comments. The approach to God in prayer is through Jesus. And the basis of what He's done for our salvation, John chapter 16, verse 23, in the latter part of that verse, John says, if you, or Jesus says, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, He'll give it to you. And because of the redemption of Christ and the adoption of as children of God. Galatians 4 and verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Two different languages saying the same thing. Father, Father. It's because the risen Christ has sent the Holy Spirit that we can address God in prayer in the same terms that Jesus did as Abba Father. What a blessing that is and how wonderful it is. Singing also presents the wonderful gospel story of Jesus. And because the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we sing. Singing also is done in the name of Jesus. He tells us that. On and on we can go. I want, I want to make sure that you understand there are other purposes for the assembly. Time wouldn't commit a complete list. We may differ on how to implement those purposes. So some variety will exist from one congregation to another. Nevertheless, we should be guided by these principles. The purposes of the assembly We'll set some boundaries on our activities in the assembly and how we carry them out. In directing the attention to the purpose of the assembly, we must be aware that we're not free to choose what activities we think will accomplish these things. God's placed in the assembly those activities that will achieve its purposes. That subject's been explored by others. And I intended on this lesson just to talk about some of those perspective reasons of why we come, why we're here. I hope we've been stirred some with that and I hope we looked at the scriptures there that tells us the great importance of our assembling together as the church. Bow with me for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you. We cannot express the depth of our gratitude for salvation planned before the creation of the world. 
carried out with the birth and life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus made possible through the preaching of the gospel so that we can know that in order to be clothed with Christ, we must be buried with him in water and raised to walk in newness of life. Help us, Father, to glorify that and make that message known. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.